Well, it is great to be with you. The, earlier this week, I spent three days at Nest Lake Bible Camp uh, with 20 other pastors from our denomination, and it was absolutely wonderful. And I got to say, I, 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 I was privileged to lead worship with them um, five times through those, those, uh, those three days. And I got to say, there was, it was amazing. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to get together with people who just really want to worship God. And, you know, a lot of times guys can be a little standoffish when it comes to singing. Um, but these guys weren't. And it was just a chorus of, of, of worship. It was so wonderful to be a part of. Um, and during our time, uh, we, we spent discussing a book called Humility. Um, and the, it was interesting... Uh, the, the discussions we had around this book, and, and the irony uh, was not lost on me in these discussions, um, because, you know, some people, as they, they just have so much to say, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, I love them, and they just, they have so many thoughts, and it's wonderful for them to share, but, you know, it, it, sometimes it's like, you just can't stop talking about this, can you? Can't stop about humility, <laughs> Um, and, and some people had very little to say, if anything. And it wasn't that they, or it wasn't that they had very little to say. It's, I mean, for one thing, you know, as a youngest child, my, uh, the brother just older than me, he, he never stopped talking. And the joke was that when, my, when he left home, my parents found out I could talk. Um, and uh, sometimes that's how those discussions go. And, and there's not a lot of room to speak. And... And, you know, like personally myself, I felt like listening for three days um, because I get refreshed by listening a little le uh, less by talking. And isn't that always it, right? <laughs> Sometimes God just says, hey, I just want you to sit and listen. Um, but, you know, it was absolutely wonderful being there. Uh, and, but humility is an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, we often treat it like humility is something to add to our life. We, uh, like it's just an area of our life that we want to make better, right? My, my humble life. Um, but the funny thing about humility is it seems that the more you concentrate on it, the more it seems to slip away from you, right? Um, it almost backfires on you. It's like those spots you sometimes get in your eyes. I don't know if you've ever sat there and tried to catch one in your vision. It, you know it's there, but as soon as you try and look at it, it's gone. Um, and humility can feel like that a lot of the time. Because humility isn't something we do. Humility is how we do something. It's not a program in the church or just a part of living as a Christ follower, but it's the whole posture that we take to live for God in every possible area of our life. Often, though, we make the mistake of only thinking one-dimensionally about humility. I know I do often. I want to be humble so bad that I end up missing how to live humbly. In Micah 6, 8, it says, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These three commands that God gives actually bear on each other. 
to act justly is also to love mercy and to walk humbly. These aren't three separate things, but they are three kind of overlaid commands that apply to the entirety of living a life for God. And so how do we walk humbly? How do we apply this to our doing, our living, our thinking? In Numbers 12, it says, uh, well, it says, well, I'm, I'm reading one verse here, so. <laughs> uh, in Numbers 12, 3, we have the, one of the most seemingly most ironic verses in the Bible about humility. It says this, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That sounds odd, doesn't it? And it becomes increasingly strange when you realize who the author of this book was. <laughs> You're like, hey, Moses, didn't you write this book? <laughs> Although it, it is in brackets in the book, which suggests that maybe it's actually more of a note put in there by a scribe, still, you know, breathed by God, but maybe Moses didn't write that specific verse. We don't fully know. But, you know, uh, we do know that Moses really struggled with humility when we read about him in, in his life. And, you know, he grew up ascending the ladder of Egyptian royalty. He was, he was in the palace. And yet, he has a moment where he murdered another Egyptian. God chose Moses to lead Israel out of slavery and to the promised land. What an honor. And yet, Moses never entered the promised land himself. God did incredible miracles through him. Parting the Red Sea. Water from a rock. Incredible things that happened. And yet, Pharaoh, when Moses showed up, Pharaoh was not convinced. And even along the way, the people he led grumbled. This verse about Moses' humility, notice it doesn't say he was perfectly humble. He was just the most humble on the face of the earth. This is not a statement of his perfection, but the statement of his faithfulness through and to God despite his imperfection and despite his struggles with humility. It should remind us that even if uh, Mo that if even Moses struggled with this, being the most humble on the face of the earth, we should expect to struggle with it too. And more that maybe God is actually the one who makes us humble. See, humility is meant to run down the center of our life. Not off to the side. It's meant to be in everything and it's meant to keep us where we're supposed to be. Many times in life we try to combat pride by, by not lording it over other people. And in many ways, you know, that's correct. We shouldn't lord it over people. Uh, as, as Jill just read Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... 
Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But often we forget that the road of life has a ditch on either side. One ditch is promote me. I'm, I'm the best. I am the most humble. The other ditch is poor me. And you know, both lead us being, to being upended with our wheels in the air. Both are a lack of humility. On Friday, uh, I took Lyndon to the, to the Strong Start program at the school. And during gym time, Lyndon always wants the big blue tricycle to ride around in the gym like a maniac. And I usually walk around kind of following her, kicking dodgeballs at her as she rides. Now I'm nice about it. I don't, I, they don't come off the ground. I'm not aiming for her head. I'm just getting the wheels. And she loves it. But I regularly have to remind her when we're doing this that she also has to look where she's going instead of just at the dodgeball. Because she will turn to avoid the ball, but then she's got the wall to contend with or another person. You know, sometimes we get so focused on avoiding one thing that we run right into another thing. Tim Keller said in regards to humility that it is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In Exodus 3, 11 to 14, we have Moses again. Moses in the burning bush. And after God lays out the plan he has for Moses of going to Egypt, of freeing Israel, Moses responds and says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you. I am who I am. This is what, you're trying, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent you. And Moses, he kind of keeps at it, doesn't he? But I'm just Moses. I could never do this. And God's, God's anger actually burns against him in that moment. Because Moses, believe it or not, in trying to play humble, actually loses it. He, he, he doesn't play humble. He has a lack of humility. He isn't being... He, uh, But isn't, you know, isn't, sometimes we read that and we're like, isn't he being humble? Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you're humble? They say, but who am I? I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, we lack humility in the presence of God sometimes where we say we are the, we're the best, we should be doing this, and that, that's my job to do this. But we also sometimes lack humility in the plan of God. Saying, God, why are you including me in this? Who am I? To do, these, to do these things. That's, that's, I can't do those things, God. You know, it means, uh, or humility, you know, it, it, it's, it's a posture that says, not I, but Christ in me. Which means we have to not only get out of the driver's seat, 
but we have to remember to get in the passenger seat. You know, we don't just step fully out of the car and say, okay, Jesus, you drive the car, I'm going to be on the sidewalk. No. Go around the car. Get in the side. Get in the passenger seat because, yeah, God, you're, you're, not, you're not in charge. You're not the, the, the highest here, but God has a plan for your life. Get in. He's going to take you somewhere. Moses had to learn that humility meant not counting yourself above others, but it also meant not counting yourself out of God's plan. Relying on God's presence for our ability to put others first pulls us out of one ditch. But trust and, and trusting God, God's presence or God's plan for us because we're valued by Him and designed for Him pulls us out of the other ditch. Not promote me but also not poor me. Down the middle of the road, humility runs through the center of our life. And it's tricky. But we walk humbly when we reject our way of pride and when we accept His way of calling. If it was just about rejecting the things and I don't want to overstep I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Then why? Then, then, then I shouldn't be up here. <laughs> but God has made a calling in my life to be a pastor, to preach. And even though I regularly feel so un, un, unable, I can put my trust in God because it is He who makes me able. It's living with Jesus at the center of our view. He is who we look through when we look at others, when we look at, 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 the, at, at our life, when we look at what He calls us to do. He is who we look through. He influences the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Living with Jesus at the center of our view, but also living with Jesus at the center of you that you're trusting Him to be at work in us and through us, that He's going to lead me. Uh, Moses, you know, he, he ends up going. <laughs> and he ends up seeing that, yeah, Moses by himself, he can't do it. But, by, but with God, he can. And God makes the way where we would say there is no way. How do you get across the Red Sea? Well, let's take these millions of Israelites. We're all going to swim, guys. No. God makes the way where there is no way. Galatians 6.14 says, may I, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, there's a certain humble pride in God's presence. Not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in God. His presence and His plan that is grown by the work of Christ in us. You know, humility is meant to run down the center of our life. Not, not showboating on the highway, but also not keeping us hidden on the side streets. And so how do we get to, to this place where we walk humbly then? 
How do we actually get on the pathway of humility? Well, the goal of humility isn't so much to live humbly. The goal of humility is to live for Jesus. Humility is not the product in our lives, but the byproduct of Jesus in our lives. In the book we read for the retreat, the author, Gavin Ortland, he talks about two kinds of humility. He talks about legal humility and evangelical humility. Referencing Romans 5, 20 to 21, saying the, the law was brought in so that the, trespa- so that the trespass might increase. That's the legal humility. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's evangelical humility. As we stand in the presence of God, we should, we should feel small. But the gospel brings evangelical humility. We should also feel love. Ortland gives us an analogy to to kind of wrap our minds around it. He says, suppose you're approaching an extremely powerful king. You walk into the royal court. Your footsteps echo on the marble. The ceiling is far above. Gold glitters around the room. You look up to his high throne. You wait for him to speak. How does this feel? Humbling to be sure. This is legal humility. But now, suppose the king gets off his throne and he rushes to you. He has been greatly worried about you. He has, in fact, put his life in great danger in order to help you. He embraces you and cries with relief that you are safe. And then he leads you to a huge table and personally serves you breakfast. How do you feel now? Does not the king's kindness humble you as well, but in a different, deeper way? This is evangelical humility. You see, only the presence and work of God puts us on the pathway of humility. It is God who deems what we do as good when it is in the employ of the one true God who is good. It is God who deems who we are as valuable when we see that we are His cherished creation. Both only come into the light as we walk into His presence and as we experience His gospel, His good news. That is where the pathway of humility is, and and that is where we first and where we always set foot on it. In John 12, 12 to 15, it says, uh, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it says, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival Uh, that that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet Him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Not a noble steed. A young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Corrie ten Boom once said, 
when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments onto the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? Of course not. And she goes on saying, if I can be the donkey on which Christ, Jesus Christ rides in His glory, then I give Him all the praise and all the honor. <laughs> what a way to look at it, eh? The pathway of humility isn't walked because we are good in the world's eyes. Or even because we are valued in the world's eyes, but because we are small in the presence of God and yet loved so greatly in His eyes. The donkey isn't some noble steed. And yet, the donkey was chosen to bear the king of kings. What a humble honor it is to be small and yet loved. There's nothing more humbling than that. And there's nothing more worth pursuing than that. Spend time in the presence of God and spend time in the work of God and you will find it impossible not to be hauled out of those ditches and onto the center of the road that He has you on. Only the presence and the work of God puts us on the pathway of humility. You know, without dwelling in the presence and work of God, we find it impossible to stay on the road at all. It will be impossible to persevere through hard times when the road gets slushy and muddy, we get tempted to try and drive around it. It would be impossible to put others before ourselves because we want to benefit, because we want to feel comfortable. It will be impossible to understand our true designed and created worth in God. Because our worth hangs on what we achieve for ourselves. It would be impossible to walk humbly. Can you imagine if that donkey had got in his head, I need to show off. Watch me. Head held high, jumping over things, right? No. Doing that, the donkey would actually not be able to do what it's designed to do. <laughs> it would throw its rider. You know, when we dwell in God's presence and in God's work, we will find that humility will start to run down the center of our life. And we need to fight to stay there. We need to fight to encourage others to be there as well. You know, an absolutely wonderful thing about the love of God is that it is never a competition to get it. One of my uh, friends at this retreat, he brought up a story. And he says, he was sitting there with a friend and they were talking about this and his friend just said, look up. They were in a, in, in, I guess they were in an outdoor pool. He said, look up. You see the sun? You see how it shines on all of us? 
equally, that nobody here has to fight to get the sun. God isn't a budget line to fight for, uh, to fight others for greater percentages. He's the sun above. The sun shines equally on each of us. And we don't have to fight each other for it, but instead, you know, we can actually pull each other out into it. Say, come outside, bask in the sun, feel its warmth and, and light. That verse again in, in Micah. O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The humbling experiences of God works in us to create a people who walk humbly with God.